Amazing Amazing Chats. I'm Pablo, and I'm here with my co-host Erica. Hello. And today we're also joined by a special guest, Derek Brown. Hey, how's it going, guys? It's going great. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, who you are? It's not much to me. I'm a comedian of, so- of sorts, I guess. And I guess awesome. we're friends. So yeah, and you told me about your awesome podcast. So I was like, hey, let me get on it. Definitely, yeah. So each week we analyze another cinema-amazing movie, something that's like questionably made, and we sort of analyze how did this happen, why didn't anyone question it along the way. And this week we're talking about Winter's Tale, which I thought was not very well-conceived film, in my opinion. It's one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and I thought this one would be a really good one to cover because the director is a fairly interesting guy, I'd say. Uh, it's Kiva Goldsman. He's known for doing such things as writing the script for uh, Beautiful Mind, which won an Oscar for that. And then he also wrote the script for Batman and Robin, which is also derided as one of the worst films ever made, as well as working on TV on shows like Fringe. Uh, so he's sort of been all over the place. His style is sometimes a little... Oh, and you're going to hate him because I was just reading that he um, co-wrote and produced the film adaptation of the Stephen King's The Dark Tower set for release on 2017. Oh, God, oh, yeah. Isn't that soon? <laughs> yes, I think it is coming yeah. out soon. <laughs> that movie's supposed to be awesome, right? <laughs> Let's see. Well, yeah. Maybe we'll see if we can cover that later. <laughs> so the film starts out with sort of a general philosophical question, which is, where do stars come from? And you're sort of introduced to the narrator, who later will realize is um, the first romantic lead for Colin Farrell's character. Uh, so yeah, the whole film is all about stars and what service they provide, how they come to be what miracles are. Everyone has a miracle that they have to perform, and that's sort of the central question that uh, Colin Farrell's character, Peter Lake, is trying to find out. So, this film is sort of similar to The Fountain, I'd say. Uh, it takes place across three time periods. Uh, first, it starts out in 1895, when you see Peter's immigrant family arrive in America, and then most of the action takes place in 1916. Uh, until there's sort of a magical realist push that has us end up in near to modern day. So what do you guys think about how the film started out? Well, it, it got a little weird. First off, the the guy's dad, Colin Farrell's dad, has like these weird like doll eyes. Did you guys notice that? Or <laughs> you just oh yeah, the casting is really weird. Throughout this movie, it's like they have randomly really good actors, and then they have sort of bit players it seemed like to me i think that had to do with the budget maybe akiva goldsman was calling in a lot of favors like he's obviously working a beautiful mind oh i actually yeah. never seen a beautiful mind oh wow yeah and then we have will smith show up later oh yeah i was really excited for that but I, I love will smith yeah no no he's great in general um, I was really taken by Colin Farrell's magical hair throughout the film. <laughs> uh, like, in modern days, he just has this long mane. That's how we're introduced yeah. to him. He's going through um, all these old-timey uh, trinkets. He finds the... The City of Justice? City. Yes, he finds the City of Justice ship, and we learn all about how he was sent to uh, live in America by his parents on a model ship. Very Noah-esque. Yeah, what that I didn't even understand. Did both of his parents have tuberculosis or just the mom? Why did he have to go in the ship? Right. And who has a tiny ship for babies? Where do they get that? Well, it's it's weird. They also they had chalk and like wrote like 
something on his jacket? Mm -hmm. What's to prevent someone just taking off his jacket and he's like, oh no, I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, so it's like Ellis Island and it's that creepy thing where they have to analyze everyone who's coming in to make sure they don't spread disease. Yeah, and everyone in this movie has tuberculosis. It's kind of like Rent in 1916. <laughs> yep. So are we to believe that Russell Crowe found this baby? Like, just floating in the middle of, like, the, I guess, waters? I think so. Let's see, there's a character that appears for, like, two seconds who sort of seemed like a father figure, so I think maybe he was raised by that. Oh. Guy. But then... He when he was, like, a by, young child. Uh, by Russell Crowe's troop. Yeah. He was old enough to already, like, be doing stuff on the streets, and then Russell Crowe drew him in. Yeah, I didn't oh, remember that guy. <laughs> no, me neither. <laughs> <laughs> no. There's like a visual motif that's created throughout the film. Um, it has all to do with this thing called color gravity. That's uh, I read some of the book, and apparently that's a big thing in that in the book uh, that this is based on. Mm -hmm. There's this whole idea that um, there's this whole idea that Russell Crowe's character is obsessed with colors and their meanings and light. So that's what you sort of see in the film as a visual motif where you keep seeing little light blooms around the corners of things uh, when symbolic uh, actions are happening. Like when uh, Peter Lake first encounters his love interest, there's like a big light bloom that sh sort of has, uh, causes his attention to notice her. Oh, I didn't even see that in the movie. Or is that in the book? I don't think they mentioned the gravity. Oh, yes, I think this is how they interpreted it. They never describe why they're doing it, really, but the various characters uh, are talking about light and starlight, specifically. Yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry, can I just say that they intro with, like, stars come from wings when we turn into angels. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this movie's all about angels and demons and miracles. So, and also, yeah, the horse's wings, I guess, are made of light, so angel wings are starlight or something? I don't know. I think we're getting ahead. Like, why... So the movie opens up with Colin running from Russell and a bunch of, I don't know, 19... whatever... Yeah, 1895? 19, or wait, yeah, 1916? I think it's 1916. 1916, uh, yeah. <laughs> There's, yeah, it's just like old-timey were chasing him down an alley, like, trying to kill him, basically. And again, in the book, they sort of described how he's uh, supposed to be a member of, the, of their crew. He's trying to escape. Like, there's a whole chapter that takes place before he escapes that he's just part of the crew, and they keep trying to push him to do horrible things to people. He doesn't want to hurt. Oh, it's like John Wick. I just watched John Wick two, and he tries to get out of the Assassins Club or whatever the hell, and then they're like, "Nope, you still owe us deeds." <laughs> right, exactly. So they're trying to kill him because he's trying to escape. It was kind of shitty because you don't know why he's running. Like, I didn't read the book. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of the stuff they should have described. Yeah. Oh, it was just a lot of stabby stab right away. You know, he's running away. Uh, we do see the magnificent white horse. Oh yeah, but I did like that before that uh, Carl Farrell just like full on slits them yeah. through. He like doesn't even hesitate. <laughs> that's our. The that's red our shirts hero. don't matter at all. <laughs> but yeah, then he does encounter the magical horse who Russell Crowe's obsessed with calling a dog. Yeah, and who kneels to him. I don't know why that bothered me, just horses kneeling really <laughs> irritates me. It is a cliched and, like, bad image, I'd say. In general, the horse sort of reminded me of, like, Falcor from NeverEnding Story. Like, whenever it's flying and they're just like, ah, like, it's so amazing. I just immediately thought of those Falcor scenes. Yeah. Well, now I can't get, um, Sandman flying out of my head from Spider-Man 3 as he 
wafts into the wind. Oh, and I said that it was, or I thought that it was exactly like uh, Les Mis with Russell Crowe's the bad guy, except he's not singing. Oh yeah, it is very Les Mis. Like, uh, he's just obsessed yeah. with this guy for no particular reason that I could understand. Now, Russell, Russell Crowe was pretty, I think it was decent yeah. in this movie. Uh, he had that, like, that weird scar mm-hmm. in his face. Yeah. Which they refer to, like, his father beating him. Mm-hmm. Right? So he can get hurt. So he's just a straight demon, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So that's what kind of confused me, too. At, at the end, Peter Lake sort of describes how he got the scar because his dad uh, or someone smashed a bottle in his face. Um, so maybe it's supposed to be like they start out as humans and then they become corrupted and become demons? It's the only way I could understand it. I don't, I don't know. Hmm. But yeah, he is definitely a demon. The horse jumps over this fence. And no one seems surprised. Like, hey, this horse kind of flew over us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a goddamn angel horse. Yeah. Nobody cares. Yeah, and I would say that I did really like Russell Crowe's uh, performance, actually. He, he was very creepy, and he just keeps randomly murdering people throughout the film. Just like oh yeah, very bloody, people. bloodthirsty, and he uh, has a different accent or some sort of accent. Was it was his like like a slight Irish? I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was trying to do an Irish accent. Oh wait, Colin Farrell is Irish. I don't think so, but his name is Peter Lake, which is very huh. confusing. Yeah, his parents weren't Irish. So <laughs> Russell Crowe was an Irish. Or maybe he was raised by Russell Crowe, who had a slight... Oh! Yeah. He just went full, full on Irish. <laughs> um, I did like the shot at the beginning where uh, Colin Farrell rides the horse into town. That was kind of cool. You like see all up in the bridge, which I think is where they have the ending, too. And it's just a nice shot in New York. Mm-hmm. So that's some good like production design, I think, in this film. Yeah. Overall. Here's my thing. There are no other horses. There are like yes. one white horse, one black horse, <laughs> and a couple of horses on like a carriage and that one. They don't really refer to horses or any nobody mentions horses. It's pretty weird. I think at this era of time, like there were a bunch of horse movies that kept coming out. Like there was War Horse. Equus, the play. <laughs> Well, I guess all the good horses are acting jobs, so it's really hard to put the horses. Yeah, they're like, we gotta put this horse in something. I was expecting a nude scene with the horse, like in Equus. <laughs> uh, so, who who is the female lead? Uh, I didn't really recognize her from anything, honestly. It's Jennifer No, Conner. oh wait, Jessica Brown Findlay? Okay. Is that Beverly? Beverly Crusher the Redhead! That's what I thought of the whole time. Yeah, Beverly Crusher. Yeah, she plays a character called Beverly Penn, and we're introduced to her sort of playing classical music on a piano. No, wait, it starts It starts with a B. What was it? Brahms? Yo, Beverly Penn. That's the name of, uh... I, I found her to be really annoying. She had this really <laughs> weird way of speaking. Yeah, I didn't really care for her that much. I also sort of thought, like, they could have cast up a little bit. Like, that's sort of another character that maybe should have been played by a higher profile actor. Like, I hate to say it, but in this case, I think it would have helped. No, I don't think anything would have helped. <laughs> We're introduced to the fact that her mom is dead. Uh, it's sort of alluded to that it might be the same thing as killing her, I think. Also consumption. Uh, William Hurt plays her dad, and I thought he was pretty classy as awesome. everything, but again, I don't know why he's so weird. <laughs> oh yeah, he's barely in it. He pretty much is just like, okay, since my daughter has consumption, you, you a thief, Colin Farrell, can, you know, be with her, since she's gonna die. Yeah, it's a very patriarchal idea that he needs to approve of him, and then that he needs to prove himself 
We have that later when he like fixes the uh, oh the furnace or the boiler. Yeah. Yeah. You know what was weird is the conversation they had when they first met. It was like an interview. I guess he was like a reporter, right? <laughs> so it had like no emotion to it. It's just like, oh, you tell me what you're what you're about now. I know you're this, this, this. And she's like, yeah, okay, I accept you. It was like very odd. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It was very formal and like sort of awkward. But maybe that was just how society was back then, hard to say. Beverly, she suffers from consumption, right? Yeah. So here's where it introduces the theme of consumption. Her mom died of it too, I guess. So the only yeah. treatment to consumption is basically like when your phone runs hot, you just put it on like outside and you make sure you don't overheat it. Right? That's that's pretty much how you say yeah, it. Yeah, it's like she can't get overheated. So she's like a Samsung phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You just have to bury her into a pile of rice. <laughs> exactly. Didn't occur to me until today, but I was like, oh, is that why it has to be Winter's Tale? She can only be in the snow? What does she do in the summer? Was It It was always winter in the movie. Oh, uh, yeah. That does make a lot of sense. Yeah, and there's just a lot of, like, winter imagery. Like, it's sort of Tim burton by the end, where they're just, like, going to this magical castle surrounded by ice. Yeah, in upstate New York, the fucking made-up lake of the Coheries, there's this huge castle and a lake, and it's frozen over. I don't know, yeah, it's ridiculous. Well, I don't get Colin Farrell's, like, I like his plan of, I need to escape the city, but first, let me get this robbery out of the way, just before I go. Yeah. Oh, because yeah. Because because the horse said, I need to. <laughs> Yeah, he's just following the horse's orders the whole time. I don't know why he really just, like, goes along with it. Oh! One big score before he leaves, just to, like, pay for everything. Yeah, I wrote that everyone is an angel manipulating Colin Farrell. Like, his life... He doesn't have free will. I was like, thanks a lot, God. That's true. Like, the, the, um, the little girl, Beverly's sister, was, like, this weird angel. That, that was really creepy. Oh, yeah, I, I hated that actress. Wait, the Willa Ford? <laughs> Children actors are always hit <laughs> for me. She was like, pick me up now. Am I light or am I heavy? <laughs> yeah, oh, I hated that. <laughs> so, so far in this movie, we've got, like, fucking Pearly and his backstory. Uh, we've got Colin Farrell and his horse. And then all the stuff with uh, the pens. But then we're introduced to another human angel. Um, Colin Farrell knows of a horse mucker or something like that, like a horse trainer. Is that the, is that the black guy in the beginning? Yeah. Oh, exactly. he's the other angel, Cecil. I wrote down his name. Cecil of the East Cecil, or something yes. like that, or I don't know. Yeah, he says to the horse, like, he says to the horse, like, about time you got here, which is really creepy. <laughs> 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 and then he basically just disappears for the rest of the movie, like he doesn't really help out that much. Except a hundred years later, when he catches Colin Farrell's attention with the coin flip. Oh uh, yeah, he does help out oh, that yeah, too. That was weird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Another thing that really bothered me about this movie is just like the music was pretty shitty. Like, oh, it was so bad. <laughs> A good soundtrack, I feel, can really, like, help make a movie engaging, and this one's just, like, kind of flat. I don't know. See, I like it. I like it. It was fun. Oh, okay. Alright. It was. It was! <laughs> yeah. I just kept thinking... That's surprisingly I kept awesome. turning it yeah. into Lord of the Rings music. It was way too dramatic for whatever was going on. <laughs> Right, like, exactly. That's, that's probably like, with it. Inception sounding. Right. Yeah, a lot of it did remind me sort of Noel. It wasn't whimsical enough. It was a very. The colors were very, like, Pastel. dim. And the music was kind of slow and dramatic. Like, it sounded like Lord of the Rings or something. I kept humming. Yes! There's a great scene where they're on the icy lake and it's very Lord of the Rings. 
Yeah, but then it should be more whimsical. Oh, just this movie, since it didn't do whimsy successfully, I was like, holy shit, is this actually worse than Mr. Megorium? <laughs> yeah, it is. That's the kind of the line that we always explore on this podcast, is just like, when does a movie become just sort of boring? I'd say it's sort of like the Twilight divide, like Twilight as a film, I'd say. Is very yeah. Boring, not really mm-hmm. fun. It had the same pacing as Twilight. <laughs> Who was this movie made for? Yeah, was it kids? Was it for, like, kids, or... So this movie actually has kind of a sad backstory. Like, Akiva Goldsman's wife was dying of cancer, Ooh. so he sort of wanted to take this project oh my as God. a memorial to her. But then I think the way he did it was really magimatic. It said he worked for seven years on developing the project. That's horrible. And he wrote the script. Oh, yeah. I think uh, different actors were in different roles. Oh. Now, the actors were, were pretty good. They had some good actors, like random parts. Will Smith. Will Smith was really good. Kevin Corrigan was really good. Which one is he again? Satan. Yeah. Lucifer was really good. He was pretty good. I liked his speeches. Uh, and Kevin Corrigan played, like, the second uh, hand man. He's aw- and he just killed him. He's a great actor. He just killed him for no reason. I don't, I don't get that. Oh, Romeo? Yeah, Romeo. And then he has a son, Caesar. Like, yes. Romeo. And he's like, I killed your grandfather. It seemed like they were just kind of wrapping up the, like, past section, so it didn't really matter if they killed him or not. Oh. <laughs> I also really like the decor in, uh, Russell Crowe's lair. It's just, like, candles everywhere, and I just wanted to see- have the scene with all the henchmen just, like, carefully lighting all the candles and just, like, setting it on. <laughs> so was the horse a dog? Or no? Right, I think it's the spirit of the east- the dog of the east or something is what Russell Crowe kept saying. Huh, yeah. Maybe it was serious, the dog oh. of the Oh. It's part of the dog constellation. Did you buy the chemistry of uh, Peter Lake and Beverly? Like, did you buy that? Because I, I didn't at all. <laughs> no, it was very forced the whole time. I also felt uh, like the age difference really distracted me. She's supposed to be 21 and Colin Farrell being well, like 40x, like 40-something. Oh, I didn't realize that. And who leaves a sick daughter? Like, <laughs> while you go on vacation? <laughs> Right, in general, the, like, behavior of the parents to her was very negligent. They're just like, uh, oh, she'll be fine. So, what's weird to me is how they found out that where Colin Farrell was with the girl is, I guess, I guess also Crow can smell, like, virgins. So he just stabs a random waiter and then paints uh, this picture in blood. And he's like, oh, we need to find this person. Yeah. Yeah, he gets really mad at the waiter when the waiter won't bring him a fresh owl to eat, prepare it just the way that he a wants. A specific species, so too. And you know what's odd is how they found her. It was like some, um, I don't know, some driver pulls out this, like, little paper of this drawing. So was it a copy of the drawing? <laughs> yeah. Or was he just walking around with Colin, or with uh, Russell Crowe's bloody um, sketches? Oh, they cut it out of the tablecloth or something. I don't... <laughs> yeah, probably. It's a, really, it's a really vague, like, drawing. It's just a drawing of any any random... Yeah, it's maybe. some abstract shit. Back, I like a very undetailed shot. Oh, I thought it looked like a vagina more than a person, too. <laughs> yeah, it was with the wavy hair and all. Speaking of that, I wanted to put out that Beverly said she'd never been kissed on the mouth, and I was like, she spec- she must have specified on the mouth because she's been kissed somewhere else. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought that too, actually. <laughs> I was like, that's too yeah. specific. She could have just said it. Yeah, exactly. Kissed. 
Oh, doesn't also doesn't also Crow also use like a hologram? He has like some marbles or something that keeps using. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't like get the light that. hits that it was, and creates like yeah. a yeah, it created an image of the city or something. Mm-hmm. It's like how he has holograms. Mm-hmm. He keeps talking to everyone about how there's many lives and they're all they all have a star. So Russell Crowe comes, and I guess he was going to kill um, that the, the female. I forgot her name, Beverly. And then Colin comes on a horse, saves her. And takes her to the to whatever the winter summer home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a horseback rescue with a magical flying horse, and oh, and then they go. Yeah, so it's called the Lake of the Coheries, and apparently nothing happens here that isn't supposed to. So this is all like fated or whatever. Right. Um. We should also talk a little bit about their uh, meeting scene. You're introduced to the fact that Beverly lives in this, like, open roof arrangement. Uh, she just, like, needs the cold air all the time, so if she overheats, she'll die, mm-hmm. for sure. And I was joking, like, Colin Farrell here, here's her pa- playing piano, and he's like, I gotta steal this piano, and then he just, like, comes in with his gun drawn. It's like, oh, he could just shoot her there, and it'll just be the end of the movie. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he has no problem killing anyone. I'm pretty sure he's killed tons of people. But he has so much charisma that she doesn't exactly. care for some reason. Oh, he had the shittiest pickup line. It was she was like, "What's the best thing you've ever stolen?" And he said, "I'm beginning to think I haven't stolen it yet." Oh yeah, he wants uh, to steal the hearts. <laughs> there were a lot of dumb lines. I think my favorite line from the movie. I just like this needs a rewrite. My favorite line from the movie is, "I've had no memory as long as I can remember." Which is the dumbest. <laughs> uh, that was funny. I don't know if they meant that to be is funny, hilarious. but it was delivered with so much seriousness. My last memory is the one I remember. <laughs> and I, I, I got really uncomfortable by the by the sex scene. Oh yeah. Yes, the sex scene was. They laughed during the climax really awkwardly. Yeah, and. I don't know if there's thrusting, because you can't show... Is this PG-13? Uh, that really confused me, too, because they don't show anything in the sex scene, and then they have a scene where a man stabs, like, Russell Crowe just stabs Oh, yeah. Lady, and then he gets stabbed in the throat That's later. That's pretty gnarly. So, like, it's quite bloody. I think it was PG-13, yeah, though. It was, it was pretty odd. And what do you guys think about Will Smith? And, uh, so, uh, Russell Crowe goes to talk to Lucifer, which is Will Smith, to ask for permission to cross this, you know, this bridge of water. And what did you guys think of that scene? I liked the set. The set was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, uh, the set was cool. He turned off and on a light. So I, I thought there were a lot, like, Will Smith said a lot of lines, which is, it was like a like two pages of dialogue, which was very awesome. Yeah, he definitely just came in and shot this, like, over an afternoon, and they just had Russell Crowe, like, switch outfits for the beginning and the ending scene. Um, I did really like his speech where he just talks about time for a long, for a while. He just, like, tells, uh, Russell Crowe that he has no conception of what time is because he lives outside of time. And they also have him, like, wearing a oh, modern yeah. shirt. Uh, sure, I didn't even know. Oh, was, like, oh in the, uh, Snapchat f- filter? thing at the end yeah exactly <laughs> wait what i missed that when uh will smith turns into like a demon kind of <laughs> oh yeah it is his really mouth cheesy. his mouth is like <sighs> yeah he looks like the mummy or something yeah and he has sort of a demonic voice he's just like you know not dying. oh what book did you say he was reading the time some sort of time thing oh he's reading a wrinkle in time which is all about like different dimensions yeah so he was just like saying that all time exists at the same time we just live in three dimensions instead of four you know what was what was funny to me is 
Will Smith and Russell Crowe's relationship. Like, uh, so Will Smith ends up giving him permission to go. But he says, hey, I wish you wouldn't do that because I would miss you. Which I thought was a really I nice thought that thing. too. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's sweet. He liked him. He was like, you know, you get used to faces. Yeah, it is kind of sweet in a way. <laughs> it's like a nice little sympathy for the devil moment. Uh, he, yeah, he's like, don't get yourself killed, stupid. I know how this is going to turn out. Mm. Eat my advice. So anyway, so... Russell Crowe is the mad bomber, right? The guy who poisoned the... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's an the angel. An ex-angel. He's human now, so he got some sort of... Somehow Russell Crowe had the ability, I guess, to get him to be human, but then he's in debt He's uh, in debt to Russell Crowe. I mean, pearly, sorry. There's a lot of little moments like that where they, like, sort of refer to backstories. I was annoyed like, by that. There's also a whole thing about why Russell Crowe couldn't go to the North. Like, he's not allowed to go to the North because something happened. Yeah, he was the demon enforcer of the five boroughs, and they kept saying, you know what happened the last time you were able to go up into upstate New York? You know, I don't know. But they never say what it was. Yeah. Oh, and uh, with the scene with the devil, Russell Crowe also describes a lot about um, sort of his relationship with Colin Farrell. Uh, apparently, Peter was going to be Pearlie's apprentice, mm-hmm. but uh, he, he decided he didn't want to keep killing people. And Pearlie's like, that's the whole point of the thing. Like, that's what he gets out of it, is just hurting people. Oh, yeah, he just, he says, Russell Crowe says, it's doing harm that is the point. Yeah, and then there is that dramatic horsebound rescue uh, where Peter saves uh, Beverly right in the nick of time. They have a magical flying scene and Kevin Corrigan is killed. (laughs) Yeah, for not being able to get Peter. Then they spike her drink, right? What was the, what was, what was it with? Right. some magic chemical unknown or... yeah it's just a MacGuffin it's just like we're gonna increase her uh metabolism or which takes a long yeah. time for it to happen yeah yeah they're dancing but it's a very mechanical like slow methodical dance so it doesn't <laughs> excite her too much but yeah then later yeah oh that was when I realized it was footloose because her dad wouldn't let her dance <laughs> she's dying well I get that <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> But it was because she couldn't overheat. Well, I think she would die anyway from sex, so it doesn't even matter. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love the cheesy scene when Beverly and Peter are standing in the snow, and she's just, like, melting through the snow. That's how hot she is. She's like the human torch or something. Oh my god, she's a fiery redhead, and she's super hot figuratively and literally. Holy shit. (laughs) And a virgin. Yeah. She's the fire in the winter. She's the warmth in the cold. (laughs) Oh, there's sort of the Titanic scene where Peter draws Beverly, and that's how he sort of comes to think that she's... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was so confused by the miracle, and whose is whose miracle, and all that stuff. Yeah. Right, and then Will introduces the whole theme of, like, Snow White, because they keep talking about fairy tales, and she's just like, oh, I built this, uh, fairy bed, and if the dead person's brought here and kissed, they'll be brought back to life. Which didn't work at all. No. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Does that work at all in the movie, or... That, that works with the kid, right? Spoiler, it works with the child. Yeah, yeah, so it's a whole... It's a whole thing of a mistaken uh, destinies, in a way, uh... Colin Farrell thinks he has to give his miracle to this dying lady, so they have sex, and it's too much for her, so she dies, and he's trying to revive <laughs> he her. He killed her. And then later you learn that she, Yeah, and then later you learn that she gave him her miracle, which gave him everlasting life. There's a line, uh, can you love someone that they won't die? And that's what Colin Farrell's trying to do, but instead she does it to him. 
And it's also that he can later save that little girl, which is her relative. Her her niece of some kind, great niece or whatever. Wait, so they were related, right? Yeah! Willa and Beverly were sisters, but I didn't get that until the end. <laughs> oh, right. Uh, yeah, so... Oh, there is that whole Sperna scene, too, where Peter demonstrates that he's handy yeah, with that, Sperna. That probably oh! Yeah, like, a lot of like, drama. Okay, he's, like, yeah. the 1914s MacGyver. Like, it made no sense. They brought it up twice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, once when they look at the microfish. <laughs> he's yes. like, I'm good with machines. Yeah, somehow he just knows how to use microfish. My microfish. Yeah. Which is what he calls it. My crim fresh. <laughs> no, yeah, so he, this is what I didn't understand. He kept saying, like, he's just naturally good with machines, and then he says a bit about how, like, I, humans are machines, and I'm good with machines. Maybe I can fix this human. And I was like, uh, but then that implies that we're sort of soulless machines, but this movie's all about souls going to become stars or some shit, so I don't know. <laughs> is oh, good point. Yeah, humans aren't machines. They have souls. Yeah, I guess we're machines with souls that's what this movie says so he dies right or he gets pushed over like <laughs> a bunch bridge. of stuff yeah and he dies so is he just does he wake up in like 2014 or is he just been alive for like a hundred plus years he's been alive for a hundred plus years so here's my whole thing if he's been alive that long shouldn't he have been able to develop a new personality yes. and like live his own life instead he just like wanders around for a hundred years like sort of yeah we're pi- himself and drawing this like one picture over and over again yeah having no memory except that he doesn't remember anything or whatever ever since he can remember he's just been doing nothing i don't know but yeah so they have that big dramatic fight on the bridge uh it's maybe like the only action in the movie until the end <laughs> the rest is like pretty boring like conversations and again no one is shocked by this flying horse Yes, the horse keeps coming back, and it's, like, pretty and, useless yeah, until the end. I thought that was weird as hell. Wait, he tells the horse to go, right? Yeah. He's just like, get out of here, horse. Get out of here, horse dog. I don't need you. Oh, he wants to die because Beverly died, I guess? Yeah, I guess. Did anyone, did anyone else find it weird that Russell Crowe just headbutts him, like, eight times? And Yes. Like, <laughs> yes. I, yeah, I didn't get that. That was yeah, great. A series of headbutts. He's just like, this is my... I'm pretty sure that's a Russell Crowe thing. I, I don't think that's written in the script. I'm pretty sure that's something he wanted to do. <laughs> oh, so many of the things in this movie were just the actors coming in, like uh, Colin Farrell's haircut throughout the movie was just like he came in with that hair, so there's... Oh, his perfect hipster hair. Russell Crowe, uh, I always remember that he, like, hit someone in the face with a phone in a hotel, and, and like, <laughs> um, and it's, what is it, oh, he, let's see, he went to the lobby and threw the telephone at an employee behind the desk, cutting him below the right eye, the police said. So I thought that was funny that he had a facial scar, because he has caused someone else to <laughs> and also the head butting. Yeah, that's uh, so odd. It was like way too. Yeah, pretty aggro. Yeah. <laughs> it's really specific. I think maybe that's how Colin Farrell's supposed to get amnesia. <laughs> like he butts him so many times. Yes. Better than X Men Origins Wolverine, where he gets like shot by an adamantium bullet, and that's how he gets amnesia. <laughs> yep. That's true. At least headbutts might cause you to get amnesia. So yeah, Colin Farrell just keeps wandering around New York City. They keeps getting drawn back to this grave site of his lost love. New York 2014. Yeah, we zoom forward to 2014, uh, like almost 100 years later, and Cecil, the angel, is walking around and just flips a coin, which causes Colin Farrell to notice this girl and her mom, played by Jennifer Connelly. 
and the little girl says the exact same thing that Willa said. Am I light or am I which heavy? Which is creepy. Which no oh my god! Which maybe is a reference to souls. It's the unbearable lightness of being, but done in a shitty way. Oh my god, you're right. It is the unbearable Am I light or am I heavy? Am I light or am I heavy? <laughs> it's almost kind of like Fountain-esque too, except there's not a far future timeline. Mm. But yeah, you have that whole thing about love resonating. Oh, and I thought of stuff. Cloud Atlas because they say we're all connected throughout time and place as well, yeah. I don't get how he goes from seeing a little girl and then going to... What's his next step? The Document Center for the Pin... Oh yeah, he goes to the yeah. library. Okay. But, but why? Oh, because he, um, he remembers a name, right? Oh, yes, yes. He finally remembers uh, his own name, Peter Lake. Oh, here it's Peter Lake question mark? Conley, the little girl. Peter Lake question mark? <laughs> In the mirror? <laughs> yeah, could I be Peter Lake? The straight Ron Burgundy method? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just at that moment, they cut to Russell Crowe, and he's like, oh, shit, Peter Lake's back. Somehow he knows. He feels like a disturbance of the force or something. You know what's yep. funny is... The, the place they're in is, like, all futuristic, and then they go to a back room, and, like, it's so, like, 1914s, and uh, everyone's wearing like, these weird 1914s clothes, and it makes no sense why they would have a back room like that. Oh, yeah, I love his evil lair. It's just, like, all the evil stock market people. Uh, it's, like, modern Oh, right, he became around. sort of... It almost looked 80s, but it was 2014. But, yeah, he's like, we're manipulating the stock market or whatever. Who knows? Yeah, it's like... Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> oh, and then there's that weird scene where uh, Pearlie's like, I killed your granddad, so you better do what I say. He's from, um... What's that movie? Oh, what's the show on FX? The Strain? Oh... Oh, yeah, uh, Kevin Durant. Another Kevin, <laughs> enough. Uh, yeah, he's really good. He's in a lot of different oh, things. Oh, Caesar awesome. Romeo's descendant. He's very awesome. Yeah. Okay. He's really good at playing squirmy types. And that's when oh. he goes to Will Smith, a.k.a. the devil, and then says, like, hey, I need to fight this guy and kill him. And Will Smith makes him into a human. And that's exactly the point when Will Smith should have <laughs> broken out in a rap. <laughs> Talking yes. about and magnets and how do they Whenever work. I see Will Smith, I wish he would do a song for each movie he's in. <laughs> right? Suicide Squad with a song would be awesome. so much better. This would be awesome. Oh, man. He'd be like, Winter's Tale. Magnets, <laughs> miracles, how do they work? Uh, yeah, Stars. exactly. <laughs> how, do they work? how do they work? Sound insane cloud and posse. <laughs> Stars, how do they work? <laughs> Peter Lake is trying to figure out what Kohiri is. Oh, right. Uh, so he's trying to solve the mystery of, like, what we had just finished seeing, like, the whole first half mm -hmm. of the movie. He goes to the library, Jennifer Connelly helps him find out about Beverly and the pens and how they all die. Yep. But the Willa is still alive and is, like, really... Yeah, that made no sense. Because... She would have to be... She was seven in, like, 1914. How is she still alive? Yes, she'd be over 100. <laughs> yes. And why is she still working? She's the editor-in-chief of, like, a newspaper or something. Well, first of all, if you're gonna have an actor that... Uh, a character that old, you need to hire an actress that's, like, way older. Because <laughs> no, that actress she will not look a day over Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I wrote down uh, Jennifer Con Connelly character's name because it's really ridiculous to me. Her name is Virginia Gainley, which might be the worst name I've ever heard. <laughs> I thought Pearly Soames was the worst name. Pearly's really heard. bad. Will yeah, Will Ford. Um, also, Humpstone John? <laughs> He's in the movie? <laughs> what? That's another, actor. That's another character in here. Humpstone wow. <laughs> 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 New York. So names. how does how does 
Colin end up in uh, Jennifer Colin's bedroom or whatever. Oh, she invites him. Oh, right. So she keeps trying to invite. Because of the microfiche. He's yeah. in the microfiche in the past. Jennifer Conley's weirdly into uh, Colin Farrell. She's just like, hey, want to come to an apartment for a potluck? And he's like, well, well, why would you invite a man who's 100 plus years old, never ages? Yeah, just have him come in. <laughs> we have to have him as a yeah, dinner geez. guest, you guys. <laughs> he must have tons of fascinating stories and a great personality. <laughs> oh, wait, no, he's really boring. So Peter deduces that, his, uh, mir- that he was given a miracle through the death of Beverly Penn. Um, but he still doesn't know what his miracle is, so that's kind of why he still keeps kicking mm-hmm. around. Meanwhile, getting haircuts, and shaves, and new clothes. And he's just like, I have to bone all the redheads. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I did like his clothes, actually. His modern-day outfit is pretty sweet to wear that. Yeah, so throughout the movie, he's like, no time for an exciting gunfight. I have to go talk yes. more. Because he's like, uh, Pearly's men are after me. We have to leave. Oh, that's right. That's when the horse came, and they, did they ride the horse all the way to the lake house? Exactly. The horse is, like, waiting for them on the roof, so they come out on there, and then they just, like, jump all the way down to the icy lake, which is a very never-ending story uh, type scene. So, yeah, the girl, Abby, who has cancer and is a redhead, is, like, dying right at that moment that Pearlie's gonna come kill her. And, yeah, then they escape. And what cancer did she have? Some kind of cancer. Oh, yeah. Uh, She has, like, the modern... Oh, my God. She was wearing something on her head, which was red. Oh, it was the vagina painting (laughs) scarf, though. She's wearing the vagina hat from the, you know, the protest. Yeah. And then she also had red hair. Oh, it was all meant to be. He finally realizes what his miracle must be when he sees, like, the recreation. We're all connected across time. We can cut to the fight between Russell Crowe and Colin Farrell. And the horse helps. <laughs> and the horse yeah, helps. Yeah, they fly to the, the ice. The horse is finally useful <laughs> as well, again. And the horse has no problem with killing about 20 guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he kills, like, 20 henchmen. They're just, like, minding their own business. Yeah. Yeah, he's, like, flying up, and uh, Russell Crowe's like, oh, your horse, your little dog is flying off again. And he, like, smashes down onto the ice and kills everyone. Huh. Yeah, that was pretty brutal. Except Russell Crowe. horse is like, but Peter, you have to fight Pearly yourself. So the fight scene was pretty boring. Yes. After, like, a two-hour movie. Don't remember. <laughs> um, don't remember the fight scene at all. I guess, spoiler alert. Let's see, I think there's, like, a knife. So he ends up killing him with uh, the little tag to his, I don't know what you call it, but his birth boat thing? His plaque. His plaque. His plaque. Yes, exactly. I, I thought it was a knife at first. Like Me too. Like or something, but then no, it's, yeah, it is the Why was it on the ground? Plaque. Oh, he had it in his, oh, pocket, in his pocket and it fell out. He was getting punched to pieces. Exactly. But I don't get, he turned into like a pot, like a... A snowman? Yep. Yes. He froze up and dissipated. I don't know. I don't. I don't get that. Yeah. Peter brutally stabs Pearly through the throat, and he freezes. It's almost like hell freezing over, or like he no longer has anything mm-hmm. to hold on to. He's like got no longer have any hope or any connection to God or anything. Um. Oh, and so did he have to make the deal to become human because Peter was like protected by? Beverly's miracle, and so that made them put them on the same level. It's destiny. Okay. So yeah, so he defeats Pearly when basically he was gonna lose because he's just getting really beat up badly, and then he stabs him in the neck. Yeah, he defeats him. And then they discover that sick girl is dying. Oh, we forgot. 
Oh, did we remember the princess bed? Did we remember Willa's gate uh, part in all of this or whatever? The with the bed and the grow operation greenhouse. <laughs> yeah, they uh, talk about the miracle bed again, and Peter's like, "I gotta take this little girl." Which, if it didn't work the bed. first time, yeah. why would you do it the second time? I would've been really happy if it. Yeah, worked. that would've been pretty funny. At first, you, they play you like that, like. Uh, oh, she's still dead. But then she's like, Mom? Yeah. So Peter, throughout the second half of the movie, is like a really shitty ghost. He's like haunting his own past and like redoing the same things he did before just in case they work. Yep. So she comes, he gives her a kiss, she comes back to life. The end, I suppose? Or does, does Colin Farrell just die? Or Oh, the horse has him right off into Orion's belt to be with Beverly for all eternity. Yeah, the horse comes back and, like, bows again, and is like, come, let's fly up and be stars. So, I guess Colin Farrell's just like, sure. I wish the horse talked. Yeah, I, I think it does in the book. There's, like, a whole dialogue device they do. Oh, yeah. Like, it thinks that Peter or something like that. I don't know why they cut that. It would have made a lot more sense. And that was it. And Beverly's the narrator? I think so. In general, like, everything with the horse I thought would have worked really well in a book. Mm -hmm. But, like, in a movie where you actually have to see a flying horse <laughs> and all that, I thought it was really cheesy. Like, the effects did not help much. Yeah. It almost seemed impossible to achieve the same tone in a film. Yeah, it's, like, very discordant. It's, like, it's that magical realist touch that takes it too far. There's a little ending narration where Beverly's talks about how no human is more special than any other human. <laughs> Uh, that humans aren't really unique, but the universe loves everyone, so we all have uh, our own miracle. For yeah, everything and everyone has meaning and purpose. However, they're totally brushing over the fact, so she's just like, oh, well, why wasn't I saved, but, like, Abby was saved with a miracle, and it's, she's just like, she's just oh like, God. no, no, everyone still has a purpose and is important to God. It's like, no, God clearly, why did God save some people with miracles and not others? Yeah, God really hates Beverly, specifically. Yeah, and Oh, and that's when I came up... She kind of just becomes a narrative device. I, yes, I came up with the theory that it's actually a horse love fucking film. <laughs> and Beverly is the only... Beverly is his human manifestation of... Uh, like, that way he can pretend that he's into a human, but it's really the horse. And that's why the horse appears with Beverly, sort of, in his life. Yeah, that makes more sense. You just cracked this case wide open. <laughs> <laughs> Into the mind of Akiva Goldsman. Uh. So yeah, this movie was written, produced, and directed by Akiva Goldsman. He did all three. Oh. Well, it was pretty bad. I, I really disliked this movie. I fell asleep three times trying to watch this. Oh! Yeah, I've seen this movie three times and it doesn't get better. Oh no! Three times, wow. It's like, it's a lot of factors. It's the budget, um, and then the actors sort of given nothing really to do. Like, a lot of good actors were sort of wasted and probably just did it as a favor. I think they had, probably had a lot of budget problems, which is why some <laughs> scenes seem Well, that's what happens when you get Will Smith to do two minutes of uh, screen time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, like, booked Central Park and they filmed at a little bit of Times Square, like, really expensive locations for no particular good reason. So, yeah, it's hard to fault the crew, really. Uh, just seems like maybe a flawed production. Apparently, the book is, like, really well-received. Like, it's supposed to be a really good read. It, it felt rushed. It, it seems like it was a hard um, movie, book to make a movie. I mean, they cast yeah. besides, you know, that one yeah. female leads, but... It's just, it's just really hard to make yeah. a decent movie out of this. Yeah. 
I think I shouldn't have been attempted, honestly. Uh, can you, you just imagine that each section is probably like hundreds of pages of long and just seems, yeah. It's like impossible to world build in such a way, I don't know, by film. It kind of reminded me of some of the like later M. Night Shyamalan films, like uh, Lady in the <gasps> Oh Water, my god, I like thought that. of signs! With the with everything is like connected yeah. or whatever, but like the payoff yeah, is really shitty. Inventing a backstory that's really yeah, they're like, oh, look at how we connected stuff, and it's like, no, you need to really feel surprised. Like you shouldn't be able to see the strings being pulled if you're gonna do one of those kinds of tie-ins or whatever. Well, you know what's yeah. weird is the trailer. The trailer is looks nothing like the movie. The trailer made me think it was a vampire movie. What vampire movie? <laughs> Because of Russell yeah, Crowe? trailer. It just, like, keeps talking about how he lives forever. Oh! It's so like... He could be Lestat. Like, yeah, or Louis. Well, I thought it was going to be, like, um, the Nicolas Cage movie, um, City of Angels. Oh, yeah, Nicolas Cage should have oh. Like, a romance oh, movie God. that would they... <laughs> yeah. Oh, because you know what? Angels were kind of on the upswing. Actually, after Vampire's Angels were kind of on the up, like, up and up. So this probably was playing into that as well. Yeah. 2014 <laughs> right this movie was definitely really targeted towards women like aggressively oh yeah it came out it came out valentine's day in 2014 oh shit yeah it did didn't it um so a lot of it felt sort of cloying like they're just trying to make it uh i don't know like a romantic movie yeah there's nothing more romantic than seeing conquer systems through so and also have sex with a girl and then kill her and then kiss her a few times while she's dead. Oh yeah, more than once. More, <laughs> like the first time should have established she was dead and then he like goes in front of her. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Gross. Uh, so I think we covered some pretty good ground. Uh, I don't know if anyone had any last thoughts they wanted to share, but otherwise I feel pretty good about it. Score is pretty good. Hans Zimmer, again, a lot of money for... Uh, a wasted film. I think the only thing I liked, or the only character, was the horse. At least, I don't know, there's a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I love the non-speaking character. Yeah, exactly, I couldn't hate it as well. Russell Crowe was pretty good. Oh, that's true, that's I really liked Russell Crowe's character a lot, actually. Uh, he's pretty creepy. Uh, I like him evil, I think. Colin Farrell was fine, like, he was trying a lot of times and seems not trying that much, but seemed to be trying. I, I liked Will Smith. I thought he was great. Will Smith was really good. He could have been in the movie a little bit more. Oh, apparently none of those scenes are in the book. Like, the judge was an invention for the screen. Maybe oh. to add some of that narration back. He had to try to make it make yeah. sense. I do think, like, with his limited time, he does make a really good impact, just, like, uh, making Well, it really spread the pace. So. It really did. Without that, the move would be even slower. Oh, yeah. God, please no. Yeah. That much-needed digression. So yeah, the production was good. I, I kind of didn't like the cinematography that much. I thought it was kind of like... They had a lot of good action, such as the ballroom scene, but you couldn't really see anything. Just sort of like mid-level following the characters and a lot of wasted uh, extras, I thought. That is true. Um, yeah, nothing really innovative filming-wise. It was just like a boring movie. It was like boring looking. The story was boring. The dialogue was boring. Most of the characters were boring. Yeah, there just was some really bad dialogue. So, it's, it's a hard movie to hate. I don't really hate this movie, but I'm very critical of oh, it, no, I'd say. I hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this is up there with Jupiter Ascending. I, I hate this movie so Yeah, much. that'd be a really good one, too, to do. <laughs> yeah, we broke our promise of not doing more magical realism. Like, next time, if I'm, yeah. if I'm on again, uh, please don't ask me. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we would definitely be willing to do Jupiter Ascending. Uh, I don't think I you've ever seen that one, and I really it is enjoyed awesome. how bad it was. I think it has a lot. It's really rich with badness. Well, cool. Um, yeah, it's great having you on, Derek. Uh, if you want to yeah, share I have, anything, I have um, Wednesday, I'll be at the Pittsburgh Improv doing comedy. So just see me there. Um, oh, wow. Awesome. That's pretty much it. Uh, have a podcast coming up, but I don't know. It's still in the works. And that's it. Great. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much, Derek. Yeah, I really appreciate you. you coming on. Yeah, no problem. It was fun. Cool. Yeah, let's, uh, let's do this again. Oh, <laughs>